that what we do is we get together on Monday night here at the church building. We spend some time, uh, kind of a quick Bible study and worship together, and then we eat a meal, or maybe it's we eat the meal first, then we do that, and then we break to some different work projects. Sometimes we um, do outreach, whether it be uh, something to do with maybe a, a mass mailing or visitation, or we do card writing to those that have visited services, those that are kind of in hospitals and could use some encouragement. And then as of late, we've also been doing some projects around the building, um, cleaning projects and maintenance um, like that, and we do have a lot of that to do tomorrow. So maybe you're like, well, I want to come, but I don't know if there's work for me to do. If you know how to push a vacuum, if you know how to, um, to clean a window, if you know how to pick up trash and things like that, there'll be work for you to do. And if that's not your cup of tea, we got other work too. So um, tomorrow at 6 o'clock here at the building, we'll eat together, meals provided. Uh, we'll have a, a time of, of spiritual devotion, and then we will break to the different work projects. And usually we're done 7.30, 8 o'clock or so on is kind of when we kind of start closing up shop around here. So it's a good time of fellowship. The more you can get together with Christians, the better. And you're doing a good work when you're here. So be there for that. And it'll also help us get ready for our parenting seminar that's coming up next Sunday. We want to make sure that everything's cleaned up and ready for that. Living in the country in which we live, a lot of times we don't think about the fact that being able to assemble being able to come together and practice Christianity in a public way without any kind of persecution is very much a blessing. And sometimes we forget about the fact that it's not like that in every place. Not everybody has in the world the ability to publicly display their faith without any kind of fear. I mean, even in our kind, I know Christianity isn't always looked upon favorably in every single circle, but I could go out in public with a shirt that says, I love Jesus and I'm not going to get shot for it. I could go out there and try to convert somebody from a different religion to Jesus Christ and not fear imprisonment for that. Um, we can invite people. We can put a banner out on the street. We could have a flashing sign. We can have an advertisement on TV or radio or online saying, come and worship Jesus with us without any kind of fear that we're going to be you know, put to death for doing that. But in other places in the world, that's not the reality. Even in countries that are very much developed and progressive in a lot of things are not always favorable toward Christianity. Think about China, for instance. China, of course, is, is an economic power. They, they um, have a lot of um, great things and big cities. It's not one of those countries you think about that is, you know, sheltered from the outside world. You know, China's very much part of world affairs. But even there, Christianity isn't looked too favorably Upon came across one news story about how Chinese authorities shuttered a church in the city of Nanyang in central China earlier this year as part of a broad campaign against independent churches. They'll say they don't have a problem with Christianity there, but they do have a problem with public displays and practicing of Christianity. It is seen as kind of something that's disruptive to the peace of the country. Uh, there was another church, I believe it was called the Rain Covenant Church. Um, they had a meeting that ultimately was shut down, and many of their members were arrested for publicly going against the requirements of the government that said you can't practice Christianity in this place. Um, recently, I was looking into um, the country of Dubai, just out of curiosity, seeing what it was like, maybe the travel there and so on. And I came across, it, they make it very clear that in Dubai, they say we are very much a tolerant and diverse religious community. But then they clarify what they mean by that. 
You're allowed to be a Christian as long as you don't try to convert anybody, is basically what they're saying. One magazine put it this way. They said, as you move around Dubai, you see no evidence of religion other than Islam. Churches cannot display crosses, and those who preach publicly or try to persuade Muslims to convert can expect jail and deportation. So they're saying, you can be a Christian as long as no one knows about it. It's kind of the idea. And it's funny, that kind of religious thought is common. This idea of, well, you can be as religious as you want to be as long as you don't tell anybody about it, as long as you don't try to force your views on somebody. But, but at the root of pretty much all world religions is the idea of, we want to convert you to what we think is going to help you get to heaven, right? But again, in many places, Christianity isn't looked at favorably upon. And there's a lot of different organizations that kind of study and rank countries that they say are most favorable and least favorable toward Christianity. The ones where it's safe to be a Christian, they said, are there in gray, and the ones that are darker in color are the ones that they say aren't safe. If you claim faith in Jesus Christ, those aren't necessarily safe places for you to be. Now, we, I think we should be sending missionaries there and working in those places, but the reality is that Christianity is not looked upon too favorably in all places. And we like to think about that, and we, we think about how horrific that is, how Jesus and his message isn't welcome in these countries, but I asked the question tonight, and the question is simply this, although Jesus is not welcome in many countries in the world, is Jesus welcome in our lives? Are we welcoming him truly into our lives, or are we kind of like this idea of, okay, I'm going to claim allegiance to Jesus, but I'm not going to do it in a public way, I'm not going to ever try to convert anybody, I'm not going to ever try to change my life. I'm not ever going to do anything that makes me stand out. Oh, you know what? I'll say that I'm a Christian, but there's not going to be any kind of public displays of my Christianity. Or maybe let's look more group-wise. In the church, is Jesus truly welcome in our church? We'll say, well, we're the church of Christ, but are we truly interested in following what Jesus says, doing his word and preaching his message? And even in our homes, we'll say, we want a family that's founded upon Jesus. Is it? Are we talking about him? Are we teaching our children about him? Do we pray about it to our Lord? Are we studying his word? Is Jesus welcome in our homes? Our lesson tonight simply is going to be based upon one idea, and the one idea is this, that oftentimes those of us who at least think we are the closest to Jesus, we think, okay, in our country here, we're free to worship Jesus. We're the most Christian people. You're fine. Oftentimes, the people that, are the, that think they're the closest to Jesus are often the farthest from him. Let me prove it to you biblically. Turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4, and actually I came across this passage, and it stood out in my mind in preparation for our lesson on the Holy Spirit this morning. But there's an interaction here in Luke chapter 4 I wanted to expound upon a little bit more, because I really think it shows this idea that we need to be careful because those of us that, that go to church, that practice Christianity, at least we claim to on a regular basis, we're often the people that could be the farthest from him. So in Luke chapter 4, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. He's been baptized, and then what we find is he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he overcomes that temptation. Of course, Jesus never sins. He, he turns against the devil and, you know, and doesn't follow him and quotes scripture at him and so on. Then... In verse 14, Jesus returns to Galilee after being tempted in the wilderness and the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. So Jesus is in the region of his hometown 
and the word about him is spreading. And then in verse 15, he begins to preach and teach in their synagogues, and he is praised by all. So everybody's hearing about Jesus, and people are complimenting him and praising him for what he's doing. He's making an impact publicly. But then we go on, he goes to verse 16, to Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee, but it's also his hometown. It's like he's been in the general area, he's been in the Central Valley, he's been, in the, he's been preaching around here, surrounding communities, but now he comes back to the old neighborhood, okay? The village of Nazareth. He goes there where he had been brought up, verse 16, mentions that. It's his hometown. And it, as it was his custom, he entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. As we referenced this morning, it'd also be a custom that different Jewish men would, would read from the law of God, read from the Old Testament publicly in these religious gatherings. It'd be like if we went around the room and had different people read a passage of Scripture. So Jesus has the book of Isaiah handed to him, verse 17. And he opens up that book and he found the place where it is written. And here's what he quotes. So everybody's listening to the different passages that people are reading. And what Jesus reads is from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He closed the book, and He gave it back to the attendant, and He sits down. So think about what's going on here. Jesus got up and he read this statement that's kind of maybe, I guess, provocative in the sense that it's almost as if Jesus is claiming this about himself. I've been appointed or anointed by the Spirit. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to bring liberty. I'm going to preach to the poor. I'm going to set free those that are oppressed. And I'm going to teach you about the favorable year of the Lord. He just says it out loud. He shuts the book, hands it back to the attendant, and goes and sits down. And everybody is looking at him like, and what's your point? What are you getting at, Jesus? What's the big idea? Why did you say this? I mean, it'd be like if I got up here on Sunday morning, you're expecting a sermon. I read one passage of Scripture and go sit over there. You're like, okay, the pause has gotten kind of awkward now. The silence is making me uncomfortable. What's next, Jesus? So then Jesus began to say to them, verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Love it. Imagine, this would be if they had a microphone back then, he would have dropped the mic at that moment, okay? Because this is, he just read this passage uh, in, in the prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus is saying is about him. Everybody's like, well, what's your point, Jesus? And verse 21, he goes, I'm fulfilling it. What? What are you claiming, Jesus? Now, we find out that all were speaking well of him. And they're wondering about the gracious words which are falling from his lips. They're thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is a powerful teaching. This is a, a message of hope. This is a message of wonder. This is great. But then it came back home. Instead of embracing the teaching that Jesus was bringing, instead of taking it to heart and going, wow, how can we follow you, Jesus? They say something else. 
They said, is this not Joseph's son? They said, who do you think you are? How dare you, right? You're going to claim that you're the fulfillment of that prophecy? Whoa, someone needs to be reminded of where they came from. You're Joseph's son. Son of a carpenter. You're from Nazareth. You're nobody special. That's kind of the accusation here. So then Jesus gets ahead of them. He says, you know what? You're probably going to quote a proverb to me. He said, because he knows what's on their heart. Now, this proverb that he mentions, it's not a biblical proverb. So just because you hear the word proverb, don't think it came from the book of Proverbs. We, there's, you know, an ancient Chinese proverb or an old proverb. You know, we have the same kind of idea today. So he quotes a statement, a common phrase that apparently was used, at least in Nazareth, in that culture. We don't have really historical records of it that says this can be attributed to so-and-so. We don't have that. But Jesus says, you know what? I bet you're thinking of this saying. And here's the saying. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. We might sometimes be, I know we're in a different culture, we're not in that time, so we might be losing some of the meaning of this. But if I were to summarize up what they're saying, or what Jesus is saying they're going to say, is they're making the accusation, is this not Joseph's son? If you think you're so good, if you think you're so special, prove it. The phrase, physician, heal yourself. Let's, pick, let's pretend you're going to the dermatologist to clear up a skin condition you have. And you walk in there, and the dermatologist goes to treat you, and they have nothing but acne and sores and things all over their face. You're thinking, I want to pick a different doctor, right? I want the dermatologist that I go to that have the most beautiful, perfect skin I have ever seen. Um, if you go to a gym, and you're going to hire somebody to be your physical trainer, you want the buff person. You want the fit person. You don't want the person that looks like you, right? I mean, we want the person that's in shape. If the doctor isn't well, we go, well, shouldn't you be healing yourself? So Jesus makes a claim that he's the Messiah here. And he says, you know what I bet you're thinking? You're probably thinking, prove it. Or in fact, you're probably thinking, well, you did all these magnificent things in Capernaum. Why aren't you doing them here? So the kind of the idea is, Prove who you are, and why don't you bless us like supposedly you're blessing everybody else? So they accuse him of saying, well, aren't you Joseph's son? And then he says they're thinking basically the idea of, you're not really that special, you haven't proved it, and give us what you're giving everybody else. Where's our special treatment? So they kind of want it both ways. They want to have it proved to them that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also want Jesus to give them special treatment for being the hometown, even though the hometown insults him. So Jesus makes this statement in verse 24. Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Jesus goes, you know what, I expected this. The truth of the matter is, throughout Scripture you find that those people that are the closest to the messengers of God's will are often those that aren't going to listen to it. Let's remove prophets from it. Think about your own family. Have you had the hardest time teaching your own family members? Reaching out to them? Getting them to follow Jesus? Trying to get them to repent, right? To change? What about maybe 
um, children and parents and vice versa, that's a challenge because you're close to them. Especially when a child starts having to correct their parents. You're like, look, I changed your diaper. Don't be trying to tell me what to do, right? I mean, but here Jesus says, truly I say to you, no prophet is without welcome in his hometown. And then he proves it. Verse 25, he says, but I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when great famine came all over the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarapa in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There was other widows there, but how come he didn't go to them? Say we're going to listen. People in the hometown often don't listen. And then he says, verse 27, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. You know, that's the point we don't normally think of. Where's the rest of the lepers? How come they're not coming to Elijah? Why is it the others? Why is it Naaman the Syrian? And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. So Jesus goes, yeah, I expected this from you. This is no surprise to me. I knew that you were going to act this way. So he makes a great profound statement about himself. He corrects them and rebukes their idea about him and proves to them that, look, you're just doing what everybody else has done. You're rejecting the truth just because the truth is from your own town. Instead of allowing the message to cut them to repent, they get upset. Verse 28, the people of the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Have you ever corrected somebody and they just get mad? Especially people you're close to. Maybe the old gang, maybe the people you grew up with, maybe your friends and family. You try to teach them the truth, and they go, who do you think you are? And then they get angry. That's what's happening here. So they got up, verse 29, and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built and over the throw him down the cliff. So they said, all right, you've ticked this off so bad. We're going to drive you outside of the city. They got him on the edge of the cliff where they're basically going to throw him off. Hopefully that hasn't happened to you when trying to teach your family. But you know what? Sometimes words and things still cut deep just like that. But here they're going to literally take Jesus and throw him off the cliff for trying to help them. He's done nothing wrong. He preached to them. He read them scripture. They didn't like the scripture. He corrects them for not liking the scripture. And then they want to kill him. It's not easy being a preacher, right? I mean, that's what happens here. So, but verse 30 Jesus, of course, has ability beyond the powers of nature and the confines of the physical realm. And in verse 30, it says, but passing through their midst, he went his way. I wish the Bible told us more about what that looked like, too, by the way. Here you have everybody, kill him, throw him off the cliff, and they got him on the edge, and he morphs on through. I I wish they had special effects and things to recreate that so we can know what it looked like. But he gets away. And we find out in verse 31, and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on, their, on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, and his message was with authority. <gasps> Wait a second. So the people of Galilee and Nazareth whine that Jesus doesn't bless them like he did the people in Capernaum. Well, then they tried to kill him, and then he goes to Capernaum, and they're great people, and they like his message. Why do you think the people in Capernaum were blessed? Because they listened to what Jesus had to say. The people in Nazareth, on the other hand, didn't. But the point I want us to get from this passage tonight is this, and then the lesson is going to be yours. 
that those who think they are the closest to Jesus are often the farthest from Him. The people in His hometown that thought they knew Him the best didn't know Him at all. They couldn't get past the upbringing. They couldn't overcome the fact that He was Joseph's son. Here's what happens with us. We grow up going to church. We grow up learning our Bibles. We say things like, my grandparents are founding members of this congregation. Or, I've been here since the beginning. I was here when we broke ground. I've been one of the longest uh, members here. Or whatever and that. It's the same idea. Or, I grew up in a Christian home. You don't have to tell me what the Bible says. My dad was a preacher. That kind of idea. It's the same thing. If you think you're the closest to Jesus, be careful. Because oftentimes it's those people that think that they know more than everybody else that are more connected than everybody else, got it more figured out than everybody else, those are the ones that are most often the farthest from Him. Speaking in a crowd like this at, on a Sunday night, I know that you're people that probably for years, decades, your whole life have been serving God, learning His Word, studying it, hearing it preached time after time again. Oftentimes we think we got it all figured out, but the reality is we don't always. So our theme this year is excel. How can we excel in this situation? We can excel by always receiving Jesus and His teaching. Not being people that reject it. Not being people that think that we already have it all figured out. If you ever approach a situation saying, ah, I know what the Bible says, you're going to fail. I can't approach my Bible study that way. I can't go, well, I've been a preacher know what the Bible says. I've taught classes, preachers. I know there's nothing new for me to learn there. That's a problem. If I think I have it all figured out, I'm just like those right here that end up wanting to drive Jesus off a mountain. Those are the kinds of people, the people that think they have it all figured out. One time I heard a preacher say, and it scared me. The preacher made this statement. He said, you know what? In all my years of preaching, I've never had to change my mind on anything doctrinally. I'm thinking, you haven't been studying your Bible. If you've always had it figured out from the beginning, that's scary. I know the Pharisees thought they always had it figured out. The people here in Nazareth always thought they had it figured out. And they ended up trying to kill Jesus. So let's be careful with that. Let's excel in receiving God's Word. Let's excel in making sure that we don't always think that we have it figured out. Because just because we think we have it figured out doesn't mean that we do. Oftentimes the people that think they're the closest to Jesus are the farthest from him. But one other point, and then we'll sing our invitation song. You notice here that after they reject Jesus, he moves on to someone else. Now, I know that Jesus will always receive you back to him if you repent. But I think there is this teaching in Scripture that he moves on. If you reject him, he, you know, he's, he's there, he wants to receive you, but you're not forced to. He doesn't keep going back to Nazareth and say, You have to follow me. He goes, I told you. I preach to you. And then he moves on to those that are better soil. He moves on to those in Capernaum. And he told his disciples to do the same thing, remember? When they go into one city, if they don't receive him, what does he tell them? Go outside the city and shake the dust from your feet. Jesus, if we reject him, may move on to someone else. Let's not be people who reject Jesus. The lesson is yours tonight. We're going to sing an invitation song right now. If you have a need, I'll be up here to meet you. If, you. if you need the prayers of this congregation, if you need to study more, why don't you come as together we stand.